Friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Dennis Parish. The only place on the face of the earth that never needed to be called mission territory was the upper room in Jerusalem, where the apostles had met with Jesus for the Last Supper and where they awaited the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. At his ascension, Jesus gave them their marching orders, their mission statement. Full authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth. Full authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to carry out everything I have commanded you and know that I am with you always until the end of the age. And that's what they were told to do. And they waited for the Holy Spirit to fill them. And when Pentecost Sunday came and the Holy Spirit came into their hearts, burned away all their fear, helped them have knowledge of everything about the faith, then they went and burst the doors of the upper room, went out into the streets of Jerusalem, and the first mission was right there. The streets of Jerusalem preaching to everybody, going into the temple area, and trying to bring as many people to Christ as they could. And of course, that first day, 3,000 people were baptized. And day after day, they did that. And the faith spread from Jerusalem to Judea and then Galilee, Samaria, and outside of Israel. Uh, The apostles spread all over the place. Once St. Paul was converted to the faith, he too brought the faith into Europe. And among the apostles and St. Paul with them, they brought the faith to half the known world. And that was not an easy thing for for them to do. In fact, we know that all of them except St. John ultimately laid down their lives for the gospel because they were people who did not want to hear the gospel message of Jesus. And Jesus never promised us to be missionaries would be easy. He says, in fact, he knows it's going to be hard. And yet he challenges us and calls us to do that, that we are to go out and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And what started with the apostles has been handed down from generation to generation until today. Many of the missionaries we know by name because we honor them as some of our great saints. In fact, every place on the face of the earth today where there are now Christians worshiping the Lord, the faith was brought there by missionaries. So among the most famous, St. Patrick, bringing the faith to Ireland. And when he went there, of course, Christianity was fledgling. There were a few little communities here and there. But by the time of his death, Virtually the entire island had been converted to the faith. St. Boniface, bringing the faith into Germany, where he gave his life for it because of people who were uh, angry that he was converting so many of their people uh, to Christianity. St. Cyril and Methodius, going into Eastern Europe. St. Francis Xavier, going into uh, Southeast Asia, into India, and so many of the places there in Japan where he baptized several hundred thousand people at his hand. St. Peter Chanel going to the islands of the, um, of, South, uh, of the South Pacific. Here in our own country, this past week, we celebrated the feast of the North American martyrs, St. Isaac Jogues, John de Brebeuf, and their companions, who gave their lives but an hour's drive away from here in what's now Ariesville, then was a Cernanon, New York, in an Iroquois village there, as they came preaching the faith to the natives here in the New World. 
And then St. Junipero Serra and all of the Franciscan missionaries who went into uh, what's now California and created all the missions there that now still bear the names, the great cities in California bear the names of those missions. San Diego, uh, Santa Maria de Los Angeles, which is St. Los Angeles, and San Francisco, the biggest of them all. And so many people everywhere in the world, there are people who brought the faith to people. And in order for them to be able to do that, they had to break out of their comfort zone. They could not just sit home and you know, do their ordinary things and just pray a little bit. They had to hear the voice of the Lord calling them to sacrifice, to give up everything they had to go and bring Christ into the nations. And thanks to Christians who've done that over the centuries, we now enjoy our faith in the Lord. And even today, there are still missionaries who will go out into places in the world where Christ has yet to be preached and bringing the message of salvation to them. And they too go at a great cost. They had to leave their homelands behind, maybe never see their families again, and go into countries where they had to learn a new language, a new culture, new cuisine, all sorts of different things. And some of them know that not only would they be going to a lot less Uh, or more austere um, living conditions, people who come from the United States and the comforts we have in our homes, knowing they're going to go someplace and perhaps live in nothing more than a glorified hut just to preach the gospel of Jesus, and knowing in some places they're facing great danger, especially in parts of Africa and Asia, where some people, in, in some of the countries where they're preaching, it is against the law to convert somebody to Christianity. Somebody could convert on his own, but if someone converts him, the punishment for that is death. And they know that while working there, every time they convert someone to the faith, they could face their death for it. But they do it willingly because they know the Lord will reward them in heaven. And they are truly an amazing example to us. The men and women, the priests and religious and lay people who are going out into far corners of the world preaching Christ to people certainly have our respect and our admiration for what they do. Today, we will take up our second collection to help the world missions to be able to support them financially in all the work they do, in addition to our prayers today, that the Lord will make their efforts be successful and that the faith will continue to spread as it is doing beautifully in some other parts of the world, thanks to the work and the efforts of great missionaries that are alive even today. And now maybe some of us here, maybe some of our young children who have yet to discern God's call for them, in due time might discover God wants them to leave and be a missionary and go into a far country and preach the gospel. And if so, we'd be very proud of you and we'd be happy for that. But many of us have already found our vocation here at home and where there's no way that any of us is going to be able to be a foreign missionary going into other countries preaching the gospel. But even here at home, We have missionary work to do. You and I are called to be missionaries for Christ, and certainly we know that our world right around us needs Christ very desperately, and we are the ones who will bring Christ to all the peoples around us. And so our prayer today also is to ask the Lord to help us know what we can do to play our role as missionaries right here at home to the people in our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, everything around us. And there are many different ways in which we can give great witness to Jesus. But like the missionaries of old and of today, we have to break out of our comfort zones. We have to be willing to maybe speak about things that sometimes people might say, oh, well, I don't really want to talk about Jesus. I don't want them to think I'm, you know, I'm a holier, holy roller or something like that. And we might be afraid to talk about it, but not be afraid to do so, because that is how the faith will spread. 
Just yesterday, I had the privilege of celebrating a wedding of a young couple who was in my last parish, St. Anne's. We had started the Christ Life program there. And in the very beginning, one young girl who was a regular parishioner at the parish uh, was uh, decided to make the program. And she was dating this young man who had grown up with no religion whatsoever. His parents did not raise him in any faith. And she took the initiative to invite him and say, hey, why don't you come with me to Christ Life? And so he agreed and said, okay. And in the very first session, he turned to her and said, this is the truth. I want this. And he came to me and asked if he could be baptized. And we enrolled him in the RCIA program. And a couple of years back at the Easter Vigil, I had the privilege of baptizing him, confirming him, and giving him the Lord Jesus in communion for the first time. And then yesterday, uh, officiating at his wedding. And that girl brought her now husband to Christ because she was willing just to say that little invitation, why don't you come with me? And we all know people in our lives that maybe all they need is an invitation. Someone to speak out and say to them, hey, you know, it's been a long time since you've been to church. Why don't you start coming back with me? Or somebody who's never known the Lord and say, especially if a religious topic comes up sometime, by the witness of our own lives, they see the things we do and maybe going through a difficulty and they say, yeah, how the heck are you getting through this? I would fall apart. How are you doing it? And they say, well, it's my faith in Christ. And then use that to launch out a description to the person, an understanding of what difference Jesus makes in your life. And then maybe even be able to say to them, why don't you come along? Why don't you find Jesus? And maybe we'll bring them into becoming Catholic, even being baptized if they're non-baptized. Sometimes it's a simple matter of praying and asking the Lord to help us to know the people we need to reach out to, to call back to the Lord or to call to him in the first place because they've never really known him. So that's one way that all of us can be missionaries right here at home, even with our own families, friends, and neighbors. Another way is sometimes a little bit more of defense of the faith. Every once in a while, of course, we come across people who are not too thrilled with our Catholic faith. A good friend of mine, it seems every year she called me before Thanksgiving and Christmas, and she would always tell me, oh, please pray for me. I have to have dinner with my family because she's the only one in the family who goes to church and has been bringing the children up Catholic, and she takes a lot of abuse from some of her relatives. How can you dare even think about bringing people to that horrible church who does all these horrible things? And of course, they're all lies. They're all misconceptions about what we supposedly believe and do, just like the ancient Christians dealt with during the days of the Roman martyrdom. But she would call me, and sometimes she knew the questions they were asking. She didn't know what to say. So she would ask me, she goes, when so-and-so says this, how can I respond? What should I say? And I gave her little tips. And once she said, you know, that worked. When I said that, they were silent. They didn't know what to say in return. Sometimes, in order to win a point, all we need to do is just silence the critic. And make them realize that their point or the, the, or the argument they're, they're making holds no water. It's, it's valueless. And maybe if they're honest people, they might start to think about it. And little by little, we can turn their heart back to God. Other times, maybe we're just silencing the critics, as Jesus did with the Pharisees and the Sadducees sometimes. Just showing them that, no, your argument is wrong. And sometimes we have to be even a little stronger than that. Maybe there are situations where we have to speak up and be vocal and say to somebody, excuse me, please stop this. I remember a parishioner here telling me some time back that she was at one of her son's Little League games and got into a conversation with one of the other mothers and just happened to mention, yeah, that they're Catholic. And she goes, and this mother laced into her 
with such anger and vicious nonsense. You know all the words, things you, how could you possibly think of belonging to that church who hates people, who does this and that, has all the, you know, all the things, you know what they say. And she was very taken aback by it. And she says, yes, yeah, she kind of just made her shrink. She says, I didn't know what to say. And I said, well, this is what I would have said. I would have said, excuse me, how dare you mock my faith? Who gave you the right to sit here in judgment of my beliefs? I am offended by what you're saying. You know, we as Catholics are always told not to be offensive to other people, to be sensitive to their feelings, and fair enough. Well, don't other people also have to be sensitive to our beliefs and not offend us? Do we not have as much right as anyone else not to have our beliefs mocked and ridiculed just because this mother doesn't like what we believe? So I said that would have been the best thing to do. Not everybody would have the strength to do that. But maybe pray about it and say, you know, when we hear people making fun of our faith, whether it's over Christmas dinner or whatever it may be, speak up and say, hey, wait a minute. That's not acceptable. I have respect for your beliefs. You need to have respect for mine. And sometimes we maybe even have to take it to the point of being even more vocal than that and bring it to a public thing, maybe even sometimes have to make waves and be strong in defense of the faith, especially when people are way overstepping their bounds and trying to force us to believe and do things that violate our beliefs. And that happens quite often in school systems throughout the country. <clears throat> I remember a story... Many years ago, in one parish where I was, some of the parents of some of the high school students came to me. And they were very upset because they received notice that the school district there, in doing something to deal with human sexuality with the kids, created this program which was going to have all these different aspects to it. But one of them was that they were going to teach the high school kids how to teach each other how to use condoms. And I apologize if anybody finds that you know, awkward you know, to talk about at Sunday Mass, but nevertheless, that's the reality of what this was and what we were dealing with. And, she goes, and they were never even consulted to be asked, do you approve of this? They were just told the program. And when a couple of them objected, they were told, well, you can always opt the kids out. And of course, how hard is that you know, for a teenager to say, you know, I'll opt out, I'll stay home instead, or give a note saying my parents don't want me in. The kids all just said, Mom, we'll just sit through it and just forget it and just not listen. We'll just turn them off. And they wanted to know what they could do. They did not like this. They felt like their beliefs were being disrespected, even ignored. So I had a phone conversation with one of the people in the school administration who was responsible for this whole thing. And to my horror found out that this man was actually a practicing Catholic. His children were regular in the religion program in, the, in their particular parish, and he was active in his parish faith. And I said, but you're a Catholic. You know this violates our beliefs. I said, you know, how can you be doing this? And he started getting very angry. Oh, Father, you've got it all wrong. He goes, no, we're not doing that. We have this comprehensive program that's teaching people to respect themselves, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, yes, fine. All those things may be great, but is one of them sending teenagers to learn how to teach each other how to use condoms? Well, we're going about it. And I kept pressing him on it. And finally I said, is that one part of the program? And he said, yes, Father, it is. I said, then I wasn't misinformed. I said, the other things may be wonderful, but not this. You cannot do that. Don't you know it violates our Catholic beliefs? And how can you be proposing that? He goes, well, you know, Father, he says, you know, not, you know, he says, I have a lot of different people out there with lots of different beliefs, and we have to respect them. I said, yes, you do, including your own. 
The Catholic students have as much right to have their moral beliefs and practices respected as anyone else. And why is it that Catholics in the public sphere, sphere sometimes often think that whenever there's a conflict, that we are the ones who have to sacrifice our beliefs on the altar of toleration so we can get along with others? When are other people told to respect our beliefs? And we have just as much right to have them respected as anyone else. And then he said to me, he goes, well, you know, not every Catholic follows the church's teaching on contraception. I said, no, that's true. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. But there are Catholics who do. And how about their opinions? Don't they matter? Are we only giving respect to the dissidents in religion, the people who reject their religious beliefs? Don't we show um, respect for those who do follow their faith? And again, he was getting more and more confused and still was not giving in on it. So finally I said to him, I said, okay, imagine this situation. Now, this was in an area where there was a large Jewish population. I said, suppose the senior class decided, you know, they had a committee for the prom and decided the prom theme was going to be a luau, a Hawaiian luau complete with a pork roast. Would you allow that? He says, oh, absolutely not. And he says, why? And he gave the answer I wanted him to say. Well, because there's a lot of Jewish people there and they don't eat pork. I said, true, kosher law does not allow people to eat pork. But you know very well that not all Jews follow the kosher laws. Many of them would have no trouble with it. But for the sake of the, those that do, you would not force them to sit there and say, I'm sorry, I can't eat that. Or would you tell them they could opt out of the prom or brown bag it and just bring their own food in? Well, eventually, the, you know, with the pressure of some parents and everything, they ultimately decided to cancel the program, especially when they discovered that that whole thing they had with teenagers teaching each other how to use that violated New York State law on you know, sexual teaching in high school. But we had to go to such strengths to get even Catholic people who were of faith to defend our faith in the public sphere, in our public schools. And that happens all over the place. And not only does it happen in our public schools, but don't get me started on our Catholic colleges and universities. The horrible things that many of the schools are Catholic and in name only and are doing things that not exactly are not merely not exactly in keeping with the faith, but diametrically opposed to everything we believe. And almost daily, I get emails from different organizations who are defending the faith here at home, asking us to sign protests against this college or that for the different things they're doing. One of them that sponsored a, gra a drag queen contest. Another one that had, you know, in uh, job applications or um, you know, when, when kids go into, into um, service or learn, learn a trade there, you know, setting up them with, um, with Planned Parenthood, that they could go there and have an internship, that's what it is, an internship with Planned Parenthood, you know, our avowed enemy. Another one recently sent out a thing with all of the different pronouns that different children are using, or young adults at this point since they're college students, and making sure they know all the proper terms. And this is at a Catholic university that was saying, now wait a minute, you know, God declared them male and female, he created them. God didn't say male, female, and other, and whatever they want to be. God has created us male and female. Uh, we can simply, certainly have compassion on maybe someone who has um, gender confusion, maybe a man who thinks he's really a woman or whatever and wants to identify as a woman. Fair enough. Okay, we can work with them. But getting to the point of deciding we can create our own genders and there's a count of about 20 some odd different genders that people are just coming up with, making up their own ideas of what I want to be, not male or female, but whatever. 
And a Catholic university is going to go along with that and say, well, we'll just let the students be whatever they want because we want to support them. My friends, it's the emperor's new clothes all over again. Yeah, we want to be compassionate. We want to be understanding. But at the same time, we can't throw reason and sanity out the window and say, okay, well, people can just create new genders if they want. No woman who's pregnant has ever gone to her gynecologist and gone to get the sonogram and find out what gender child she's holding or she's carrying within her. And the doctor says, congratulations, you have a non-binary child. That's never happened. God makes us male or female. And if someone has a problem identifying that, and now it's gotten to the worst, even species, people are identifying as animal species, well, charity does not say indulge them, but rather, especially the worse the world gets, the more we lose a sense of cohesion, of right and wrong, and kids are being led to think all sorts of bizarre things, the worst thing to do is encourage them to go off with further things, but call them back to the truth of God. No, you are male or you are female. If you're having a difficulty with that, and you are a human being, you are not a cat or a dog or whatever you think you are, and charitably but firmly remind them this is truth. Truth is not determined by my feelings, by my opinions. And this whole thing about other genders and things, it's a fad. It's something that's popular for a while, and you know, eventually the day will come that people will forget about it. They'll lost track of how many different genders that they've created and everything, and finally just decided to be male and female again. And people will look back on us during this time and say, what were they thinking? When we get, you know, get the political polls and things that come out asking male, female, other, even on medical things, some of them are even allowing other. How as a doctor do you deal with a person who claims to be other than male or female? How do you address their medical needs? People will look back at us and say, what were they thinking? Just like we now look back at the people during the time of slavery and the Civil War, when say they were willing to die for the right to enslave other people, which now everybody unanimously agrees is wrong. What were they thinking? That they even went out and used the gospel of Christ and verses of scripture to defend it and say this is good and pleasing in God's eyes. And if you ever want to Google something interesting, go and look and see the scripture quotes and the cartoons and things that people used during civil war to claim that Jesus was pleased with the institution of slavery. And we look back and say, had they lost all sense of sanity? And the answer perhaps is yes. In our world today, have many people lost our whole sense of sanity? And the answer is yes. It's nice to say we want to be understanding, we want to be compassionate, but we have to be truthful. And we can only call people to the truth that Jesus says is in him. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I say it repeatedly that truth is not determined by what we think and what we feel. That was the temptation of original sin. Christ has full authority and he has given us the truth that will set the world free. And like St. Paul reminds us, may we never be afraid to preach the truth, but preach it whether it's convenient or inconvenient, popular or unpopular, correcting, appealing, always with charity, but always keeping faith. My brothers and sisters, we have a lot of work to do in our world, and you and I need to be the instruments of change. If we want to save this crazy world around us, our commitment to Christ and knowing he has the truth and following him will help people have the identity in God that he gave them, what he wants them to have, and only being the person that God created us to be, only in that will we find our peace and our meaning. 
May we not be afraid to go out and be missionaries for Christ, to step outside of our comfort zone, to speak up, to be bold for Christ, to be proud of him, and to remind people that Christ has the truth, the only truth, the truth that indeed will set the world free. May Jesus Christ be praised, now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carosa. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carosa, please visit www.fathercarosa.com.